2: Welcome back, everyone. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell, and uh, we're coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. If you'd like to send me an email, exxon at exxonradiotv.com on all social media sites, Exxon Radio TV. And to find out about the programming we have available for you on the radio side on the Exxon Broadcast Network, visit www.exxadbn.net. Now, if you're a subscriber to Simul TV and you watch the Exxon TV channel, www.simultv.com. My guest this hour, Exxon Nation, is a gentleman that I wave to uh, when I'm on the shores of Lake Erie. He's in Pennsylvania, and I didn't know it was Ron until before I just used to go down to Lake Erie and wave, and I'd see somebody wave back, and (laughs) just find out it's Ron Murphy, he's an investigator into all things that go bump in the night. He uses a multidisciplinary approach to delving into the stuff of nightmares and illuminating the archetype that lurks in the shadows. I think I went out with her for a couple of nights in high school, but that's another story. He's written eight books on the paranormal and has investigated throughout the United States as well as the United Kingdom. Joining me now from his home in Pennsylvania, our guest this hour, Ron Murphy. And Ron, welcome to the Exxon. Great having you with us.
3: Uh, Rob, thank you so much. It's a pleasure all mine, my friend.
2: Okay. um, How did you get involved in the paranormal?
3: Well, actually, it was my my mom, if you can believe it. Uh, Back in uh, the 1970s, I was just a wee lad, uh, so I was in elementary school. I was Uh probably about seven years old in 1977 and we had a rash of Bigfoot sightings in our area. Now I come from a very small town about thirty five miles outside of Pittsburgh mm-hmm. but it's like one of these one street light towns and it's really, you know, known for nothing. Until Bigfoot uh, started to be seen on the outskirts of town. And then the media started to come in. News trucks from Pittsburgh started to come in to our little town all because of Bigfoot. So my mother, uh, she would uh, take my brother and I and we would listen to the radio reports. And we would listen to the to the, um to the tv reports and read the reports in the newspapers and then she would plot out a an area where we would go investigate to see if we could find any any traces of bigfoot so sure. from a very early age about the age of 6 or 7 uh, i was out looking for you know this this elusive uh, mythological creature in a lot of people's minds but a, you know flesh and blood creature in many other people's minds as well mm-hmm. but uh, she instilled in me That sense of that the world is much bigger and much more mysterious than it seems to be.
2: Ron, why do you think in the year 2018 more and more people are getting more interested in the search for Bigfoot, uh, whereas other aspects of the paranormal, and I'm talking about ufology and uh, the investigation into the ghosts and hauntings, are on a decline?
3: You know what? That's an excellent question. Um, and thinking about it from a paranormal perspective, you know, from you know uh, somebody that is a true fan of the of, of the paranormal, um, I think it's because um, Bigfoot rests outside of technological bounds. Right. Uh, science has not categorized it. It represents that wildness, that mm-hmm. uncivilized part of humanity that we might never be able to tame. Now, whenever we talk about UFOs, that's a very technological thing, isn't it? Yes. We're talking about computers. We're talking about things that are able to travel through time and space. Um, and it's not that that wildness and that nearness and that we're very easily we can very easily identify with a wild man character other than something that came light years away or even for ghosts for that matter i think we've been so inundated in the media mm. uh, concerning ghosts and hauntings uh that we've kind of you know lost our nerve for it right. uh and i think bigfoot is one of those things that people really kind of grasp onto and uh they hope and i like me i hope mm-hmm. that there is something out there
2: I was just going to say, is it possible that because with Bigfoot, there is a better chance of someone actually seeing a Bigfoot than there is of a UFO and a ghost?
3: I think well, it's also very tangible too, right, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, ghosts are always going to be these ephemeral things. No matter if we catch EVPs mm-hmm. or we're fleeting videotape, it's always going to be something that's very subjective to the uh, to the witness. Uh, but whenever we have a Bigfoot, you know, it's something that leaves tracks. It's something that you know you people identify with smell, and it's something that we can actually reach out and grasp hold of.
2: Is it also possible that there is the possibility? That Bigfoot is related to us humans, and that he has evaded techni- uh, you know, uh, detection over the years, making him kind of a, not only a legend, but a feasible reality.
3: Yeah, you know, Rob, and that, that is also another good point. And that's the reason why whenever I write and I approach the subject mm-hmm. of the paranormal that I like to look at archetypes. Um, because it really is embroidered in our DNA as a human race that these wild man creatures exist right on the periphery of civilization. All cultures around the world, whether we're talking about Africa or Australia or Europe or Asia, we all have the idea and the belief in a wild man yeah. character you know um and and that says a lot for who we are as human beings um but uh you know i, I think that we need them as much as uh as much as they need us uh and um i, I think i kind of lost track on your point but uh i'm, I'm sorry if, if you would be kind enough to repeat it because i was going off on this tangent. And i thought oh i'm going to make a real good point about this and then and then i forgot what i was going to say
2: well first of all you did make a very good point and i was just saying that is it Is it possible that because there's the distinct possibility that we are related to Bigfoot, Mm -hmm. that this is where another attachment to the phenomena comes in?
3: Right. See now, this is where I'm going to plug my book, and that's Go probably right why ahead. I, yeah, Go right I'm, I'm ahead. not very good with self-promotion. But I wrote a book <laughs> called "Yeah uh, on uh, on Wild Man: Tracking the Bigfoot mm-hmm. Through History," and uh, it was it's just been uh, re-released in its second edition, an expanded edition. Um, and I also I, I point out in the book that the idea of um, interspecies breeding is something that we as a human race did experience. You yes, know, that's right. 50,000 years ago so we're talking about there are human beings in this world that have not only neanderthal dna in them but also denisovan dna which is this other kind of homo sapien dead end that nature kind of played around with and experimented with and kind of lost the arms race to to us homo sapiens um so i think that there is this idea that um it could be us. I mean, ever since I was a child, uh, I remember watching a, a, a TV a documentary called Bigfoot Man or Beast. So ever since I've been a kid and probably since the time that this legend started mm-hmm. to surface among very different Aboriginal cultures, the idea that it could be one of us. A wild one of us has always been there right below the surface. But you know what? That's something that a lot of people don't want to admit either. You know, that's one of the skeletons in humanity's closet, the idea of inbreeding with a species outside of our own genetic makeup.
2: But it's a fact of life.
3: It is a fact of life. You know, about 3% of Europeans have um, have uh, uh, Neanderthal DNA. Yes. And, and the, the percentage of Denisovan DNA is much higher in uh, the uh, us Aboriginal Australians, of, of all things, if you can believe it. So the idea that, that this has happened and lingers with us to this very day is scientific proof.
2: Scientifically speaking, if Bigfoot is... Related to we homo sapiens, why isn't there any protection against people harming Bigfoot in the quest to establish his reality?
3: You know, uh, another excellent point. Um, I think uh, one of the reasons is because people don't want to take it seriously. Uh, mm-hmm. This is uh, a pseudoscience. This is something out on the fringe. Um. I think that there should be something in place, I truly do, just to eliminate a lot of whack jobs from going out in the woods with guns. I think that it would be a great thing. There was a show on our TV down here in the States called um, Killing Bigfoot. I don't know if you had it up there or not. Well,
2: well, we were going to, but I got an online petition going, uh, and the network that was going to air it backed down, and they canceled it.
3: And and that's probably for the best. And, And to tell you the truth, I mean, it was not... It, it almost followed the same formula as finding Bigfoot mm-hmm. except whenever the people went out on their night investigations they had high-powered rifles I mean right. that was the whole premise of the show is to kill this creature you know that you know has has yet to be, be even proven by science um, I think that if you would put some sort of protective measures in there uh, just make it simply unlawful to yeah. hunt a bipedal creature that makes complete sense to me uh, I think there are some places on the books uh, you know kind of tied tongue cheek mm-hmm. where some states have set aside that you cannot do this. I think Texas might be one of those places. Uh, but the idea of going out there with a gun to shoot something walking on two legs, whether Bigfoot exists or not, that's an accident waiting to happen. It
2: sure is. Ron, please stand by. You and I have to take our first break. Exo Nation, Ron Murphy is our very special guest this hour. If you'd like to contact Ron, uh, Ron, find out more about him, his books, whatever www.ronmurphyjr.com That's ronmurphyjr.com And we'll both be back on the other side of this break continuing this hour talking about Bigfoot here in the X Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. Murphy's my guest of this hour. www.ronmurphyjr.com. And uh, Ron, why is it that the bigfoot hunters or the bigfoot researchers that we see on television always go out at night? Doesn't bigfoot move around during the day?
3: You know, I'll look at the Patterson-Gimlin film. I mean, yeah, that exactly. was in that was in broad daylight. Um, it, it, it makes for better uh, video, I, I think. It gives that kind of creepy aspect. Um, but, you know, if you're looking for a creature out there, it doesn't matter if it's day or night. Mm-hmm. The idea of that it might be migratory at night, you know, the idea that this is nocturnal, first of all, should be thrown out because all credible sightings are usually take place in the daytime. That's what makes them so credible is because there's no identification or misidentification right. or eyewitness mistake on, on what they're seeing. Um, so, yeah, the idea of going out there at night is, is is completely foolhardy for me
2: you know we were talking uh, earlier about uh go these this tv show where the guys were going out with high powered rifles and and i agree with you it's an accident waiting to happen especially at night uh, but what do we know about bigfoot itself what do we know about his so social structure what do we know about bigfoot as a mom or a dad
3: And and that's another point. I mean, whenever we're talking about this from a scientific perspective, Mm -hmm. all this stuff has to be addressed. Is there a mating season? Yes. Uh, Do they do they go off into bachelor groups like some you know great apes do? You know what exactly is going on here? Um, I, I would think from a investigative perspective uh that you know a group of bigfoot is very rarely seen at one time so they they apparently uh, move around in very disjointed bands or family bands or whatever if we have to make that kind of speculation of course that's what we're doing here is be having a speculation but there are reports from from uh around where i i live right now dating back to the 1950s of uh, Bigfoot being seen with young ones. And every now and then you do hear reports of seeing a Bigfoot with a single young child. You know, that, that's usually the way it goes. Right. I've never heard a report of multiple young ones uh, regarding Bigfoot. Um, so with that being said, is it possible that there are very, very few of these creatures? And that's what I am uh, proposing. Um, for uh, When we look at the great ape species... There's only about 800 mountain gorillas left, uh, and if you would look at this biologically, um, the minimal bio, viable population for the mountain gorilla is somewhere around 500 individuals before they start be- becoming, um, you know, uh, genetic mishaps and 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 things like that, deformities uh, and dysfunctions. Um, so, is it possible that possibly all of North America? only has 800 of these animals. I mean, it, it, if that is the case, it's going to be very difficult to ever capture right. one of these things. Uh, they might be migratory. Uh, they might come together only certain times of the year for mating purposes. Uh, that could all be done with uh, with the use of pheromones as trail markers. Uh, so we can, you know, actually gather these creatures together over vast differences uh, by using very subtle biological components like infrasound or pheromones. Uh, and uh, the the idea of seeing these creatures, uh, you know, together is really limited if they only do, uh, in fact, come together just, you know, once or twice a year for, for certain mating rituals. And so it's very possible that we're talking about only, you know, a thousand individuals over North and South America and possibly even into Canada. And if that is the case, it's going to be very difficult to ever, ever mm-hmm. find one.
2: The fact that uh, most of the sightings or the majority of sightings with with smaller ones is a parent and one child also is a is a connection to the hypothesis that Bigfoot is related to Homo
3: sapiens. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, so we're not talking about them having a litter. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know. The other thing, there, there might be mm-hmm. uh, other Bigfoot in the area as well, too. There, there might be a sentinel or you know something on the lookout. So we really don't know what the family makeup is. Right. We could only say that they are, you know, if these are indeed um, related to the great apes and related to us, we have to look at what nature is providing us with. Um, you know, to study so we would look at the great apes and say well this is how they kind of go about the business but they're very social creatures um, so if we do have a social social group of Bigfoot they keep their numbers hidden quite well
2: isn't that why it is possible that that Bigfoot has been able to survive as an unknown species is because of the care it takes in not socializing and getting out there where it can be seen and uh, and further exploited
3: Oh, absolutely. If you look through historical accounts of Mm -hmm. Bigfoot, and I'm not just talking about accounts that are after the Patterson-Gimlin film, or, you know, scant reports here and there about uh, wild men being seen uh, in the forest by uh, trappers, but if we go back into antiquity and we look at reports like the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is, you know, from Samaria, a report about a a Bigfoot-like creature, these creatures are only encountered when um, the civilized man goes into, uh, into the uncivilized world and starts mucking it up, you know, yeah. starts cutting down trees and things. Um, and it, you can go through time and see that this is what's going on. There's an invasion of territory and there is some sort of uh, reaction from these creatures. So if they did indeed evolve alongside of us, they would know by this time that we are to be avoided. You know, And if that is the case, and they are self-aware creatures, so any creature like this that is able to be this elusive has to be self-aware. It has to know that it needs to stay hidden in order to survive. Um, then you could also talk about a culture it's very possible these creatures are to the point that they have you know have harnessed some sort of culture they might not uh, have you know fire or any kind of high functioning tool system or anything like that but they may have a culture that involves some sort of you know burial even so Hmm. whenever we talk about this kind of animal from a very speculative angle Mm -hmm. um then we can see how how it almost like layers of an onion how more and more difficult it may be to ever categorize this this creature
2: Where's your favorite place to investigate when you're out there looking for Bigfoot?
3: Um, I do a lot of stuff on the Chestnut Ridge. My first book that I wrote on the paranormal was uh, called The Unexplained World of the Chestnut Ridge, A Hike of, into the Goblin Universe of Western Pennsylvania. Now, this is a place where there's not only numerous Bigfoot sightings, but also mm-hmm. UFOs, plenty of haunted locations along that area. Even some some stretches of the land itself is considered to be haunted. Um, Thunderbird, um, Dogman, you know... I, I, really anything that you can name that is uh, beyond the realm of, uh, of uh, you know reality is there this is almost like the rabbit hole in uh, Alice in Wonderland uh, back since the 1970s it's been called the Twilight Zone of Pennsylvania so this is one of my favorite places to investigate uh, one of the reasons is if I look out my window I can actually see it out my window I've lived in the uh, foothills of the uh, of the Chestnut Ridge uh, for 40 years of my 48 years here on this earth um, So but the other place if i'm if i'm ever in europe uh, and i haven't been there for a bit but i need to get back uh, is in the highlands of scotland they have a very interesting uh, creature over there called the Gray Man, which mm. is their version of, uh, of a Bigfoot-type uh, creature. A little bit more paranormal and a little bit more metaphysical in uh, appearance and aspect. It seems to be very nebulous. It can kind of uh, shrink itself or, or grow into tremendous sizes. Uh, but, you know, the legend at, at its basis is this bipedal wild creature uh, that haunts the, uh, the, the highlands of, of Scotland. And also there's a lot of different uh, wild Tracks throughout England, where the Woodwoose is said to be uh, said to be hiding, and that is really the Wild Man, where we get our 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 idea of the Wild Man figure before the Patterson-Gimlin film came from this European tradition.
2: Where do you, based on the research that you've done into the Bigfoot, where do you think the Bigfoot originates from?
3: Oh my goodness! That, well, I, I think that if we're talking about this from a purely scientific point of view, mm-hmm. we would have to talk about an out of Africa migration. I think that if we're going to say that this is indeed a uh, uh, an evolutionary dead end, a remnant population that is was able to live uh, into uh, into the into history. Being an out-of-Africa movement, and we have had, and one of the reasons why I write about archetypes, and from the Jungian perspective, is that we probably had a co-evolution with these creatures.
2: When was the first, once again, based on your experience and the research you've done into the Bigfoot, when was it first found in, in history, recorded history, and um, where?
3: A- yep uh, about 3500 bc so we're talking uh this is uh before the uh, pyramids are built actually Mm -hmm. uh so we're talking you know the ancient sumerian culture Uh, we have the epic of gilgamesh and uh this is whenever uh the, the cultural hero gilgamesh goes out and discovers a wild creature called enkidu uh and uh It's not the only wild creature out there, because in their adventures, Gilgamesh and Enkidu uh, end up going to a grove of trees. Now, you have to understand that this part of the world is very um, barren. So anytime you come to a a large uh, gathering of trees, that's considered a sacred grove. Uh, But it had an inhabitant. And uh, that inhabitant was another one of these wild bipedal creatures. Uh, And uh, Gilgamesh promptly slays that creature and uh, starts tearing down the forest. So as you can see, uh, you know, from the very first encounter, it's never been a good one for these creatures.
2: All right, Ron, please stand by. You and I have to take our news break at the bottom of the hour. XO Nation, Ron Murphy is our very special guest. And uh, Ron has uh, written eight books on the paranormal and has investigated throughout the United States and the United Kingdom. His website is www.ronmurphyjr.com and we'll be back on the other side of this news break as we continue here in the X Zone with yours truly Rob McConnell and my special guest this hour, Ron Murphy from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Whatever you do, don't go away. Ron Murphy is my guest www.ronmurphyjr.com he's the author of eight books we're talking about Bigfoot, this hour here in the X Zone. Um, first of all, Ron, thanks very much for joining us. Great having you with us. Congratulations on all the all the work that you do. And uh, I, later on, I'd like to talk to you about the course that you're developing that is nearly completed. But right now, uh, I was wondering if you could explain your multidisciplinary approach to to uh, the work that you do.
3: Oh, that, that's great. I, I would love to do that. Um, so I uh, went to the University of Pittsburgh, and I have my bachelor's degree in literature, and then I went to Indiana University of Pennsylvania, where I focused on history. Now, most of the history that I focused on was ancient to medieval. And this mm-hmm. is where a lot of these 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 archetypes started to show themselves. Um, you know, when we talk about the art of, uh, of, of England, uh, the medieval manuscripts, you had a lot of these wild man characters seen in, you know, books of prayer. You know, it's it kind of uh, shows you what is out there, the wild, the uncivilized to stay away from. But uh, through all my courses uh, from the very beginning of school, uh, I start seeing this creature that I loved so much in my youth emerging again and again, this idea of a, a you know, this dead end right. uh, in, in humanity that was considered to become extinct. You know, when we talk about uh, the Gigantopithecus and such, um, but then I started to, to try to make connections and think, well... Is it possible that there are still populations of these creatures out there and people are still seeing them today? So then you look at sociology and see how that can be applied to that and how groups, you know, the mob mentality can somehow – influence uh, eyewitness sightings and linguistics so whenever we look at you know native american uh t- uh folktales of these creatures on the west coast and then we see that there's an east coast equivalent as well sometimes even linguistically well there's something to be said about that there's some some sort of connection to be made Definitely. so whenever we look at all these different things you know through if, if we're looking at history and we're looking at literature and we're looking at biology We can start connecting the dots a little bit better and we can see that this creature does uh, exist at least in our minds in our collective unconscious if you will you know again to go back to Carl Jung so the idea of the collective unconscious is that we as um, a human race a species have a cultural memory of this being and it has influenced us so much that it sticks with us to this very day Um, I like that idea. Um, As an investigator, I'm still out there looking. I still have never seen anything. I've had some anecdotal evidence. I've had some tantalizing things happen to me, like a wood knock and some calls and things. But I've never physically seen this creature. Um, So as an investigator, looking at this creature in the woods is one thing, but also trying to track it through the gray matter of the mind is something completely different, but just as appealing to me.
2: Well, you know, everybody, uh, I, I put Bigfoot in the same category as God. Nobody has seen God, yet millions of people around the world believe that God does exist. That's so why, why couldn't the same model apply to not only Bigfoot, but other, other cryptids as well as other categories uh, within what you and I call the paranormal?
3: uh absolutely that's that's the case isn't it i mean a lot of people do see this mm-hmm. as a quasi religion don't they i mean this is something to be defended there's no way really to disprove anything that we're talking about uh mm-hmm. it is a matter of you know, subjective faith whenever we're talking about matters of this nature. Um, of course, we can be as scientific as we possibly can, but in the end of the day, we're not going to be able to take a, a pushpin and tack a Bigfoot under a uh, an investigative lens, are we?
2: Not yet, anyway.
3: Yes, yeah, not yet, anyway. And I'm hoping that that doesn't happen because we need that wildness. We need that... We need to be kept in our place as a human species to show that we are, are capable... Of uh, you know, of not destroying something that coexists on this earth with us.
2: Uh, I agree with you, but then I have to ask you: then, why search for Bigfoot? Then,
3: uh, well, I, I think that it's all—it's everybody's quest for the holy grail. I think everybody has something to do, and and mine is uh, to try to get to the source of what has been. Um, uh, infecting my dreams since I've been a uh, an elementary school student, right. uh, and you know, to other people, I think there's a, a true scientific quest out there. Uh, some researchers are very religious, getting back to the idea of God, and uh, that can point out, you know, this idea of creation over evolution. There's a lot of different reasons why people do it, but I think the ultimate goal is everybody likes a mystery, and everybody wants to be the one to solve that mystery. This is a great puzzle. This is a conundrum that could possibly be walking in the very very forest that we look out our window and see so if that is the case i think that uh, a lot of people want to solve this mystery for sure. themselves
2: ron is there a bigfoot paranormal connection outside of cryptozoology
3: uh, uh see uh, as a researcher and this is whenever it becomes a, a bit more ambiguous okay uh, again we talk about the idea of a culture or the idea of them burying their dead or possibly even ritualistic cannibalism or something of that nature. But we have to go by a lot of eyewitness reports of these things disappearing, of, you know, red glowing eyes, mm-hmm. of sometimes telepathy. Um, I've had a number of reports of these, of these creatures materializing in somebody's home. I don't know if you've heard any of these stories up there in Canada, or Rob, or not, but I've heard at least a handful just in my neck of the woods here in Pennsylvania. One lady said she was um, uh, vacuuming the floor, and this creature materialized inside her living room wow. and it had to actually you know, bend over because it was so tall, and it communicated with her uh, telepathically. And it would come and go, uh, you know, observe her doing tours around the house. At first she was scared out of her mind, but then it became, um, just, just something that was going on. So, you know, as, as somebody that has been trained to, um, you know, observe human behavior, uh, I, I knew that she wasn't making this story up, and she herself believed this story. So you can put it off as some sort of fantasy, something that was going on in her mind, until these stories keep on cropping up. Other people saying, yes, you know what, that had happened to me, or somebody coming out of the blue and saying, uh, you know, have you ever heard of a Bigfoot visiting you inside your home? So, whenever we hear these encounters, what are we to make about it? We're still dealing with a very tall bipedal hair-covered animal, right. uh, but now it's speaking to us, or it's vanishing, or it's able to manipulate the world around us. Um, that, of course, is a paranormal connection, and it's something as a legitimate researcher that I can't, I, I can't dis- dis- discard it. You know, I can't simply. Uh, uh, roll it up and toss sure. it in the garbage can because it doesn't fit into my schema on how these things are supposed to operate
2: so Bigfoot could be a multi-dimensional multiverse, uh, could be uh, some sort of entity that has figured out how to manipulate the time-space continuum uh, travel backward and forward in time, there are so many possibilities but once, ag- once again it goes back to what you were saying that because we do not know everything is on the table
3: Everything is on the table. So as I'm writing and researching, I come back uh, more and more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've said this on very, very few programs. So this will probably be one of the first times uh, that, you know, listeners are hearing this theory. And I would love to hear uh, anything that they uh, would have to say in regards to this. Because, you know, these, these radio shows are great forums for people to get together and share opinions and share theories. But one of my theories that I'm dealing with right now is Bigfoot. Uh, as as a denizen of the world of the fae, of of the fairy realm. Now, a lot of times whenever you use the word fairy, you automatically think of Tinkerbell and Walt Disney comes to Mm -hmm. mind. Uh, But when we talk about uh, an an elemental earth energy that um, exists out there and is able to um, manipulate the world around it so We see it. It can actually project itself into us. Now, when we look at medieval reports of of fairies, they had something called glamour, which is a way that they can physically change the way they are being seen. Um, So we're talking about some sort of possible psychic connection or something going on there. But they're able to put into our minds A vision of the way that they want to be perceived Uh, and a lot of tells of Bigfoot seem to have that going on there as well Uh, there are also tells in the Pacific Northwest where Bigfoot has offered food and if you would take the food you go into the world of Bigfoot that is something that is also very curiously related to the European folklore yet it's showing up in Native American legends as well so you know we start you know, connecting dots again, yeah. like I said. So when we look at the Yowie in um Aboriginal Australia, uh, you know, and that culture is quite ancient. You know, we're going back almost sixty thousand years. Uh and we have the idea of the dream time, this time out of time, mm-hmm. where certain beings exist and yaoi seems to be one of those beings. Uh it looks as if these creatures might be um coming and going into our world in possible waves, you know, whether intentional or unintentional, but it seems like they might not be grounded completely in corporeal reality. So uh, gives uh, you something to think about, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it certainly <laughs> it certainly does.
2: And what I'm going to do is I'm going to take my final break now while I ponder that very interesting and very plausible situation. Ron Murphy is our very special guest of this hour, dot www.ronmurphyjr.com. And uh, if you'd like to uh, find out, uh, where can our listeners get your books from?
3: Uh, you know, you go to Amazon. You can also go right to my website as well. Um, you can go to your bookstore, but, I, you know, yeah. I, the paranormal sections tend to be getting smaller and smaller unless you're, yeah. you know, hunting for vampires or something, something like that. So uh, you could go to your bookstore and order it, but it's easier to go on Amazon, and if you're a prime holder, it costs nothing to ship yeah. the books. Or you could just get them directly from me, and I'd be happy to autograph them
2: or whatever. All right. We'll be back on the other side of this break. And, by the way, that's not a Bigfoot. That's his pussycat on that, his back. Yeah, th- Mr. Pussycat. Mr. Possums. Ron Murphy and I return. Don't go away.
0: We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them.
1: And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you.
2: Ron Murphy is our special guest this hour, XO Nation, www.ronmurphyjr.com. Um, first of all, Ron, I want to thank you ever so much for joining us. It's been a delight having you with us. I've thoroughly enjoyed our, our, our conversation. We're going to have to have you back on because still there's so much more that we have yet to discuss. But uh, before we get back to the very uh, Bigfoot connection, let's talk about a course that you've got going or you're going to get going very shortly. Tell our listeners about it.
3: Well, in the real world, um, actually, uh, I, I work in education, mm-hmm. uh, and I am in the process right now with a fellow teacher of mine by the name of Angela uh, Bukema. Uh, we're actually uh, designing a uh, nature preschool, a forest kindergarten, if you will. I'm not sure exactly how they're referred to uh, up in Canada, uh, but there's only one other one in Pennsylvania, and that's on the other side of the state. They're very rare uh, here uh, in the U.S. They're, 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 they're a bit in vogue in Europe, um, but, you know, ever since... Since I've been a kid, I've been out in the woods, and I've learned some of the the most uh, that I've ever learned out in nature. And I think that that's a very important link for us not to forget. You know, we're we're all. Uh, geared up with our iPhones and our yeah. iPods and iPads and everything. Um, and I think it's time that we step back from technology a little bit. Let's use technology as a tool and not as a babysitter and get, you know, get our children really out there. Uh, one of the reasons why I want to do this is because it does indeed teach stewardship, uh, not only of uh, of each other, uh, but also of the land itself. And that's extremely important. Um, you know, there's an old maxim that uh, we borrow the world from our children. And I think that is true, but I think the children need to have a hand in how they're going to lend this world out. Um, And I'm really excited about the possibilities of this catching on. uh, And just a true wonder that nature provides to us uh free of charge uh and of course uh socrates says uh wonder leads to wisdom and i think that's very true some of my most fascinating moments in my life and some of my most memorable moments in my life has taken place outdoors i think that's probably the same for you too it is yes Uh, yep And, and i want to instill that in children because i don't think kids are really doing that anymore
2: don't take this wrong but what is the difference between what you are going to be accomplishing and what the boy scouts and girl guides
3: That's see and that's that's the other thing and that's a very important connection um a lot of children simply don't have that in their lives wow. And we're talking about, you know, a a group that meets maybe one or two times a month compared to, um, you know, five days a week for 180 days. And I think that is what I'm really trying to get in there. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, I want to show the impact that, you know, that we play uh, in the world around us. Uh, One of the things that I'm trying to push for right now on the designation of this course is the idea of working with um, certain animals that may be extinct by the time these children um, Graduate from high school. Uh, There's a species of chicken called uh, the Dorking chicken. I don't know if you have any uh, working knowledge of chickens. No, I don't. Uh, Yeah, but this is a very ancient breed. I didn't either until I started to design this course. Uh, But Julius Caesar actually referenced these in his writings. So Mm -hmm. uh, this was a chicken that was brought to England uh, by way of Rome. And, uh, you know, through the years, its lost its, 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 its you know, uh, appreciation, uh, it's not a very large bird, uh, it's not a very good leg egg, uh, egg layer, uh, and it's actually at a very critical stage, and it may not be, um, you know, around much longer. So we're seeing an entire species of animal that probably will be extinct in the next 12 years, and I would like the children to be able to work with an animal like this to show that, you know, it's humanity's decision whether this animal lives or dies based solely on, you know, uh, preferences. And uh, I want to show them that, you know, real life is is in their hands. And, uh, you know, there's an appreciation for all life. And I think that if you take that, it extends also into, you know, life uh, as a whole, you know, yeah. with your fellow beings on this planet as well. It's, a, it's about time we start spreading a, a, a chance for peace instead of this constant hate that seems to fill the air.
2: Yeah, my entire knowledge when it comes to to chickens can be wrapped up in three little alphabets kfc
3: well (laughs) see the thing is my friend (laughs) i am a big chicken fan myself that's true and i've never raised a farm animal in my life right but i'm trying to give these 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 little ones you know a kind of a complete working knowledge you know to to, this kind of gestalt type of uh of education so but i agree with you uh yeah you know that actually sounds good i think whenever i get off here tonight (laughs) i might have to hit up the good old kfc
2: no I, i i i admire what you're doing and it it will change lives and all we need to do are the goal of this entire show for the last 28 years going on 29 years on air is to make a positive difference in one person's life
3: Uh, uh, look tonight we talked about very, uh, you know, various topics, mm-hmm. and some of them were, you know, quite controversial. Whenever we we're talking about investigation, there was no arguments whatsoever. Uh, you are not one of these shock jocks where people like to, you know, get a rise out of people. This was a very sane conversation, and the reason why you've been doing this for such a long period is because people can understand that and they can sense that. That's the reason I cannot wait to hear feedback from this show because I really. I, you know, as a writer and, and as a, a lecturer, I truly do listen to what my audience has to say. And, I, and I'm looking very much forward to hearing what their response is.
2: But you see, this is what communication is all about. And somewhere along the line, it was forgotten that communication is a two way street. It's called talking and listening. <laughs> and I don't know where it went wrong, but it's nice to see people like yourself and others out there who are. Getting back to basics and saying, hey, listen, you've got something to say. I've got something to say. You say what you've got to say. I'll listen, and then I will do the same. So there you go. Uh. Um, Before the break, we were talking about the fairy Bigfoot connection, and I'd like to get back into that because it raised a lot of excellent points
3: it does uh and and i think that if we look at this let's look at it from a european point of view okay so we have a fairy creature out there something that you know uh The woodwoos, for instance, their version of Bigfoot, uh, is um, almost like a fairy creature. By the time we get up to the Arthurian legends, we have Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. And the Green Knight is indeed this kind of mythological woodland figure covered in leaves. Uh, So we see that there's a slight evolution in this, but we're always dealing with a creature that's so a part of nature that it actually can... Uh, regenerate itself with the passing of the of the seasons um, so you, sometimes you see the the green man and the wood with different color hair or different color leaves to represent the winter or the the fall coming around uh, so that's one point we have this idea with this creature being intrinsically linked mm-hmm. with uh, the natural world very similar to the fairy right. now um, uh, by the time we get up to Shakespeare We have in A Midsummer Night's Dream a character by the name of Robin Goodfellow, who in his play is called Puck. Now, Puck is taken from the word Puka, P-U-C-C-A, and that represents a shape-shifting creature uh, that is part of the fairy realm. Uh, Now, linguistically, uh, let's cross the Atlantic here, and then whenever we come to uh, Massachusetts, there's a creature up there that inhabits the woodlands, which is very similar to uh, a small Bigfoot in stature, and its name is the puck wedgie. So we have the puka and the puck wedgie with the same type of root-sounding words in there. So is it possible that this is indeed related, and this is what the creatures themselves want to call themselves and the cultures around them kind of pick that up. It's something very fascinating to look at. But again, we see this idea of of a same name crossing not only time and space, but also, you know, cultures as well.
2: When it comes to the cryptozoological groups, is information shared or it does, it, does everybody hold on to whatever information they have because they don't want to? you know, share the information so that somebody else may find the smoking gun.
3: Uh, that's, that's you, you hit the nail on the proverbial head, that's mm-hmm. exactly what's going on. Uh, or some people will get information and because it doesn't make any sense to them, they will throw the information away because they thought, you know, it's ludicrous instead of documenting it. Some people think that all the information they get is completely proprietary. I think that information should be confidential, but never proprietary. It needs to be shared. Um, I used to host uh, uh, I, I, I a few podcasts, as a matter of fact, and there is so much infighting in this field and so many people jockeying for position that I simply did not have the palate for it. I, I could not stand it. I'm not, I'm not an assertive person. I'm not one of these people that like to be uh, put into uh, an argument of any kind. Uh, so I really have taken a step back and, and now I led my... my books speak for themselves, or I'll do lectures, but, uh, you know, this is one of the safe spots that I've had right. uh, on radio for quite some time without any kind of bickering or any kind of, you know, uh, in-your-face confrontations, and I really do enjoy this approach very much. Um, I think that if we are ever going to be taking um, seriously scientifically, uh, that uh, we have to be, uh, you know, friendly. Um, uh, Benjamin Radford of the uh, Skeptical Inquirer magazine said that um, it's not outside forces that make the Bigfoot investigator look foolish it is the Bigfoot investigators themselves and that is absolutely the case or any paranormal investigator um, there's a lot of experts out there my friend um, I know a lot about history I know a lot about you know different mm-hmm. types of you know sociology and I know a lot about the mythological and the folklore approach to these creatures but nobody is an expert on this stuff uh, nobody knows if these creatures actually exist and that's why we always have to keep an open mind and we can never put a period at the end of any sentence that has to deal with the paranormal. It always has to end with a question mark.
2: Speaking about ending, my friend, you and I have to say so long for tonight. I want to thank you ever so much for your time and explanation. If you'd like to find out more about our guest this hour, Ron Murphy, his website is www.ronmurphy.jr and I'll be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the x from our broadcast center and studios in beautiful Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Ron, we'll have you back on in the future, so don't go too far.
3: Thank you. It was a pleasure,
2: my friend. Good night now. We'll be back, x Nation. Don't go away.